Hi, this is Pamela Wilson, author of Master Content Marketing, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringel. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today on episode 409 is Pamela Wilson. Pamela Wilson is a content marketing advisor who brings 30 years experience to every engagement. Small business marketing teams benefit from having Pamela's guidance, coaching, and expertise. She's a keynote speaker and frequent podcast guest as well. She's published three books and has created and marketed dozens of online courses for herself and others. Pamela lives in Nashville, Tennessee, and is here to talk about her book, Master Content Marketing, A Simple Strategy to cure the blank page blues and attract a profitable audience. Welcome, Pamela. Hello, Bill. I can't wait to dig into this topic. It is one of my favorites. Terrific. We're going to back up, though, and start with this. When you were growing up, Pamela, who's somebody who influenced or inspired you? I have a duo for this answer because I'm kind of a history geek. And honestly, I really loved the power combination of Eleanor and Franklin Roosevelt. Eleanor Roosevelt had a ton of impact within the time that she lived in where maybe women weren't expected to be very powerful, but she managed to have a lot of impact within that framework. And then Franklin Roosevelt governed the country at a time when I think it would have been very easy to despair. I loved the combination of those two working together and what they managed to do in our history. I also think they were video content pioneers. You see a lot of video Franklin Roosevelt. He suffered from polio, had to use a wheelchair and assistive devices. So it was difficult for him to be on video. And despite that, he pushed through all of that and used video to reach people and encourage them to make major changes at a time when the country was in a difficult place. I see a lot of inspiration in those two, especially now as we're coming out of a time that was difficult in the U.S. So true. Was it through a history class or your own reading that you encountered the power of, of that president? Honestly, I am a huge documentary geek. It's my favorite way to relax at the end of the day is to watch a history documentary. So I've seen so many documentaries about the two of them, read books, read articles. I've been inspired. They've been a multimedia inspiration source for me. FDR certainly made the most of both video and having a powerful message. Do you remember a point in your life, maybe early on in your career, where you took some sort of inspiration or guidance from either FDR's example or Eleanor Roosevelt's example? Because she's well known too. Yes, absolutely. What I love about Eleanor Roosevelt, for example, is that she worked within an environment where she had power, but it wasn't overt power. And so she was able to have a lot of influence without being elected into a position. That felt very inspiring to me that she was able to reach people in a way that had to go around the power sources of the time. Right now, we have accessibility to publish and have people find out about our thoughts and our ideas and our propositions like never before. How did you get into content marketing just in your own career? 
In my own career, actually, I started out as a designer. So I was approaching marketing from the visual side of marketing, and I wanted to come online and reach people in the online space. I wanted to reach people all over the world who needed to get my kind of help branding and marketing help at that time, came online and discovered that the best way to reach people was to write helpful, useful articles that would help them to achieve whatever they were working on at the time. I wasn't a writer, and that was very daunting to me. I didn't think I would be able to write at all, honestly, but I dove in and started trying to write articles and realized after a certain amount of time that content marketing, when it worked, had these seven sections. And as long as you could approach it as almost a, seven components that you could snap together and you could work hard to get all of those components to work in the right way, then you would create a really successful piece of content. And I ended up being published on huge websites and ended up teaching copy bloggers, 350,000 person audience, how to do content marketing. And I wasn't a writer. Then I wrote the book on content marketing. And that is really to try to help people who also don't consider themselves to be writers so that they can create content that actually reaches people and is engaging. I think that's a really important distinction. You don't have to think of yourself as a writer. You don't have to have the job title writer to be an effective content marketer. In fact, you define content marketing in your book as saying that it works when you create useful, interesting, and engaging information consistently over time. It's all about showing up reliably and being helpful every single time. With that as your focus, I think we could clearly make some distinctions between dedicated and focused content marketing versus people sharing their latest coffee that they had at Starbucks on Instagram, an idea that they woke up with from a bad dream on Twitter. Yes, definitely. So glad that you made that distinction because I think there is some confusion out there right now about exactly what is content content. And the examples you just gave, the Instagram post, the tweet, those are content, but there's content and then there's content marketing. Content marketing is structured in a very deliberate way and includes a call to action where you are asking people to take the next step in some way. It may not be this way for everyone, but in my mind, at least the best content marketing lives on a platform that you have control over, on a website that you control, on a podcast platform you have some control over, a video platform that you have some control over. That is a really important distinction because as we know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of these social platforms have an account-based format where your account can be shut down at any time. It's really important to own the platform where you're posting content. What do you recommend and where would you encourage people to start if they were saying, I think that we've been doing it, but actually we've just been doing social media marketing. Where do you point them to do content marketing? Well, I honestly, I think they need to understand that content has these sections and to understand that good content needs to be approached like that. You you talk about these seven components as Legos that snap together. And when they're all together, they form a piece of content marketing. And it starts with the compelling headline. Second is the first sentence. Then there's an intro section, the subheads, the main copy, the summary, and then finally the call to action. If you're missing any of those pieces, you're probably not content marketing. 
Exactly. Yes. It's so important. And just so that people understand, those seven components exist in podcast episodes, good podcast episodes, well-structured ones, well-structured videos, and well-structured written content as well. They really cross all the media types. And they're super important because they kind of take the content consumer on a journey that goes from the click, which is what your headline is about, to the first sentence, which is basically just to keep the person consuming your content, you're pulling them into the content with the first sentence, then your introduction sentence where you're still selling the piece of content, believe it or not, the first three sections are just to get attention and keep attention. And then you go into- to do attention interrupt when people are used to just scrolling. It is so hard. It is unbelievably difficult. And that's why I think people need to spend a lot of time in those initial sections, because if you don't get somebody on the piece of content, you're not going to have the opportunity to influence them. So the headline, the first sentence, the introduction are just getting them there. Then from there, you break it into subheads where you're basically just laying out your argument point by point. You've got your main copy which is expounding on your subheads, helping them to understand each point. I recommend at the end that you include some kind of summary. Nobody talks about this, but I think really good pieces of content loop back and help people to revisit the concepts that you've covered. We live in a time where we're all kind of did. So you're really doing your viewer or your listener or your reader kindness when you can give them some kind of summary and say, this is what we went over. And they say, oh yeah, that's right. That is what we went over, right? Whenever you do that, you're aiding them because repetition and reinforcement work well together to break it up into nice bite-sized bits that make it go deeper the next time they're exposed to it. Absolutely. And it's just a chance to say, hey, you got through this piece of content and look at all the value I delivered to you, right? It's an opportunity for you to just reinforce that they were smart to consume your content and this is everything they learned. It's a great thing to do right before you ask them to take an action, which is the last element, the call to action. You're asking them to either share your piece of content. In some cases, you might want them to leave a review or a comment. Maybe you want them to click through to another piece of content. Maybe you want them to buy something or sign up for something. That also happens, right? You just need to ask for something because if you don't ask for some kind of action, you have really just delivered a beautiful piece of education, but not a piece of content marketing. I think that it also serves people when you put in that call to action. If they found value in what you put out in your seven tips on how to do something, they should certainly sign up and get a larger piece of content that helps them on that journey. Let's go back to the question of where to publish. Many times I'll speak with business leaders and marketers within companies and they say, I don't want to just publish it on our site. That gets a tiny amount of traffic versus publishing it on LinkedIn. They might also say, given your model, Maybe we should be posting things on YouTube where we have control over the whole video. Even though we don't own the platform, we get to put up whatever length of content we want. What are your thoughts on that? And what is, what's one specific recommendation you would address, use to answer and address people who have the question, where do I put my content marketing where it's going to get the most exposure and do the most good? Right. It's such an important question. The main piece of advice that I would give people is to think about all of those social platforms as outposts 
posts where you are going to post parts of your content, some of your thoughts, but you're always going to try to get people back to your home base on the internet, which is your HQ, your headquarters on the internet, which is your website. Your website is a complete environment that you own and control. So you want to get people there so that they're kind of in your world. That said, use LinkedIn, use Medium, pick one or two. Don't use them all, obviously. But if you know that your audience is on one of those social platforms, definitely use them and think of them more like billboards or ads that you're placing out on the internet to try to get people back to your main site and establish you as a thought leader and all of those good things. There's two big reasons. One reason is that you can be taken off any of those platforms at any time because you don't own them. That's one thing. It's like an issue of control. Do you really want to pour that much time and energy into a platform that you might eventually lose completely, lose control over, not be able to log into all of that? But it's also this idea that you want people to be in an environment where they can see everything else that you've done. On social platforms, things tend to move as a stream. I always tell people like a social platform, if you're not comfortable writing, for example, it's a great place to practice writing because it's like a stream, like a leaf that you drop into a stream that's flowing, right? Imagine the leaf, you drop it in the stream, it flows down, it flows away, and then it's completely out of sight right? That is your social post. You drop it into the stream. A few people see it. They might comment and then it keeps floating by. And a few days later, nobody sees it anymore. That's another reason to bring them into your environment so that they can see all of your thought leadership in one place. Right. And not be distracted by other leaves and twigs floating in the stream. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Pamela, when I talk about content marketing to some business leaders who have a lot of experience and a lot of good value to share, they often ask, does it have to be really high quality content? That's a strange question to me, but I'm curious as you how you would answer it. I do think it needs to be high quality. I would say that if somebody is concerned about that, first of all, familiarize yourself with those seven elements and realize that if you approach it in a component way, then you can just focus on making each of those components high quality and do it over several days. That's something else I teach is to create your content over several days so that you're revisiting it and not trying to do this one marathon content creation session because it doesn't tend to yield the best work. But what I would say, if somebody is really concerned about quality, I would say focus more on needing great quality content that maybe isn't as long at first, right? As you're just getting more familiar with content creation and feeling more comfortable building content and being valuable, just focus on creating short content that's really valuable over time you can add to it. And yes, search engines probably won't rank your 700 word post, but that's okay. It's practice. In the early days, you just need to practice. If you put out some podcast episodes that are shorter at the beginning, or you create three minute videos in the beginning while you're getting comfortable in video, it's all right. You have to start somewhere and work on making that shorter content high quality for the duration of that content, even if it's short. So go for complete pieces, even if your scope 
or your ambition is curtailed, you can go through and completely produce pieces that have almost all those seven components. So you're doing what's necessary to fulfill the content marketing definition. Some of the people were objecting to, oh, longer content or higher quality content means I have to get a writer, means I have to get an editor, means we've got to do reference sources, means we have to bring an illustrator. That does come over time, but getting started it's not necessary. I think the most important thing for people to realize is that it's going to get easier over time. This is like any other skill that you build. You start small and you just build it over time and it will get easier the more you do it. Other objections that they raise is, why would I be giving out my best stuff? Which is one of the pieces of advice that you and others share. Share your best stuff so you attract the right clients. They also ask, what do you mean by publish consistently? Does it really matter? Address those and then we'll talk about how to measure success with content marketing because that's a different way of approaching it than simply completing pieces and putting them out there. I think one of the most important things that you can do with your content when you're thinking about how to make it your best stuff, and I'm drawing air quotes around best stuff, how can you make it your best stuff? Well, what you can do is help your prospective customers to understand more about how you work and how you do what you do. As long as you are helping them along in their journey, you don't need to worry about whether it's your best stuff or not. You're just helping people to understand more about how you work, answer their most pressing questions, and prepare themselves to be educated consumers. One thing to think about for sure. And then remind me of the second half of your question. And publishing consistently. Does it really matter to have a schedule that you're publishing on a daily, weekly, or even monthly basis? Yes, it does matter to publish consistently. And I think in the early days, actually, one of the most important things you can do is to publish every week for the first year or so. If you can publish a piece of content every week, there are two reasons for that. The first reason is that by publishing every week, even if it's not a long piece, you are developing a habit and you are developing your content marketing chops, frankly. You're just going to get better at it because by the end of the year, you'll have created 52 pieces of content, right? So that's one thing, but also it's an opportunity for you to tell search engines what it is that you are about. You're basically planting your flag and saying, this is what I'm an authority on, and I've written about it 52 times, see? So it's a way to send that message out to search engines or the platform that you're using and let people know and your audience know that's what you're good at. Can you share how you've worked with a marketing team to help them adopt this approach so that it's not just the one-offs or dropping leaves in a stream, as many people think that content marketing is? Absolutely. I worked with somebody named Roberta, actually, who was on a team of marketers, and she was part of the team and directing the team. She was a higher level person in the healthcare industry. They were creating content to try to reach their customers who were reading their content and then talking to their sales team. This was content that was basically warming up their leads so that when the sales team got a hold of them, they were all warmed up and they understood what they did. So this person was in charge of creating content. She was doing it very consistently. They're based in Georgia, but their customers are all over the U.S. We discovered that one of the things that she was optimizing for, so one of the exercises that I do with clients is I help them to create a top 20 list. 
And I recommend that they look through published content and figure out what content is working best for their business. So this person, we started working on this top 20 list. And what we realized pretty quickly is she was optimizing for the post that got them the most traffic. And we realized that what she really needed to optimize for was the posts that that created the most leads for the sales team. And once we changed things around, sometimes the content that got the most leads for the sales team was surprising content that maybe didn't have as much web traffic, but it was actually the content that people tended to read just before they booked a sales call. Share the title of one of each of those two categories, maybe a title of something that got the most views versus the title of something that got the most leads. There's one that I can give you the basic title for, which was, does it make sense for my healthcare office to outsource its billing? Which sounds very informational. And if somebody is in the process of researching this, that might be a post that they would look at. But the one that ended up actually getting more leads to the sales team was the one that got the most leads for the sales team was how does remote billing work? It was just a different way of stating that the information was similar in both pieces of content, but sometimes you have to think about how is the prospect asking the question and make sure that your content delivers that answer in a way that makes sense for them. Because the call to action at the bottom of that second one would be what? Book a call or download a PDF? Book a consult call with our sales team. Yes. In both cases, people were in a mindset where they were looking for that information, but the headline on the second one just got a lot more clicks and a lot more people booking calls. So for a team that's looking to improve their content marketing effectiveness, what would be some metrics that you would encourage them to look at so that they're navigating by the best direction, the best North Star, rather than just randomly as to what gives them the most excitement or likes or popularity versus actual business? Because you can't pay your bills with likes. Absolutely. Yeah. I tried taking them to my bank and they just laughed at me. So it doesn't work. That's terrible. That happens to me too. (laughs) I know. They're like, no, take your vanity metrics and go home with them. So yeah, I think there is a big focus on those vanity metrics, on the likes And to a certain extent, Bill, actually traffic can be a vanity metric because you may have a piece of content marketing that's getting a ton of traffic to your website. But if you're not paying attention to which of my pieces of content really drives people to become customers of my business, then you're really not paying attention to the right thing. That's a huge eye-opener. And it's one of the things that I work with early on with clients is identifying which pieces of content are actually working to drive leads to your sales team or drive people to purchase your product or service. And we identify that and then try to build content that is similar enough that it continues to build on that success. What you're encouraging people to do is to look just beyond the marketing metrics and also look at sales metrics so you could build the journey that they took from looking at different pieces of content to when they booked a call to when they signed a contract or made an online purchase. It involves looking at a much wider segment of their journey. If you don't have the tracking pieces in place, you could certainly add them, but it's taking that direction to look at what people did before they bought and then giving more of your 
prospects that type of information to help them on their journey in the same way. Is that right? Exactly. That's exactly right. It's starting with the sales process and working backward. And marketing team members sometimes don't think that way. They are thinking about engagement and traffic and things like that. Those are all great. And it's the start of the journey for sure. But you need to identify how are people finishing that journey and are they ending up as customers? And that's really the most important thing to look at. The other thing that I see is that people really focus on creating new content all the time, and they're not looking back to try to optimize what they have. This really is where that top 20 list comes in. It's let's identify your top 20 content and figure out which pieces of content are really leading to sales and then just keep them really optimized. Make sure that those keywords are the right keywords. Make sure that we're interlinking between those pieces. And if we know that those pieces of content convert, make sure that those are the links that we're sharing in our email marketing, in any social marketing that we do where we're putting out those outposts on social platforms, make sure we're linking back to our superstar content that is the content that drives sales. That's why it's really important to like, what are my content marketing rock stars? So I can keep putting them up on stage so that my prospects see them. Now, for a company that may be a little bit earlier on in their journey, and they have a marketing department, they've been doing a lot of other types of marketing, And they're saying, how do we get started? How do we find those first 20 pieces? What advice do you have for them? Because you and I both know the first 20 pieces they create are probably not going to be their 20 best performing pieces in the course of a year. Absolutely. Yes. And here's the thing. I think people need to give themselves a break, right? When you're starting out, you won't be creating your best pieces of content. You just have to get started. You have to start building that content marketing muscle building your ability to reach your customers, you need to start paying attention from the the very beginning to see what content people respond to and then build more of that. Your customers will tell you, they will let you know what they're most interested in and your job is to pay attention to that and build on your success. You also wanna pay attention to common questions that you get from prospects or people who are in an earlier stage of the sales process. What are they asking? What obstacles are they putting in front of becoming a customer? What is stopping them from working with you? Pay attention to that and build those answers into your content. I also look at what else has been popular so I could get ideas for headlines or even some topics sometimes to write about. Do you encourage people to look at competitive analysis or any other search engine tricks or tactics to get an idea of what's being popular in order to throw your content into the pool that has the most fish? It is important to do that. And I think in the early days, especially, it's important to get familiar with the market that you're stepping into. It's you're stepping into a group of people, like when you, men don't think about this, but when you go to a party, you're always thinking, is this formal? Is this informal? You want to make sure that when you step into that group of people, you're fitting within that market, right? And that's really important when it comes to content as well. Not so much because you want to be like everyone else, but because you are going to appear alongside all of those competitors. So you need to make sure 
that you are either standing out in the way that you want to stand out or that you're at least at level of everybody else who's in the market. And you won't be there in the first month or two. You won't you won't be there. And that's okay. You just have to get started and become familiar with the standards that people are used to seeing in that market so that you can do your best to try to achieve those. I'm going to ask you if you're ready now to step into the My Quest for the Best lightning round. Let's do it. All right. When you were a teenager, Pamela, what's a song that you loved? I can't remember it. What were the posters you had on your bedroom wall? I had a poster of Sean Cassidy when I was in middle school because I thought he was so cute. So you're going with the Partridge family? Yes. Let's go with the Partridge family. So I need a song. So the song I remember that I first liked, the first pop song I liked was Do Do Run by Sean Cassidy. How's it That's go? dating me big time. To <laughs> do run, run, to do run, run. What would you say is the best $100 or so purchase you've made in the last six months? The best $100 or so purchase I've made is my Lumina camera, which I'm using in this interview. It is fantastic. And it's super helpful to me because I have all sorts of changing light happening in the window next to where I work. And it just adapts. It's been really great. What's your definition of personal success? I know I'm succeeding when... When I feel like my life is balanced and I have a good balance between work and time outside of work. And when you have that balance, what do you find yourself doing outside of work? Hiking. I love to hike outdoors, swimming when it's warm enough here in Nashville, and now getting together with friends in person. Again. When your field inspires you? I think the person I'm most inspired by right now is Alan Weiss. He is the million dollar consultant. He's written many books about consulting. And I really like his approach to value-based pricing and his approach to serving his clients. He's very inspirational to me. What would you say is the most important habit, routine, or, or belief that you've stopped in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? I have stopped working until 6 p.m. I push away from my desk at 5 p.m. on the dot, and that has been a huge game changer. My husband and I have a standing 5 p.m. date. He works at home, so we both push away from our desks by 5, and that's been huge. That's terrific. Good for you. So we've covered a lot of details about content marketing. What's one area that I haven't asked you about that you want to mention to help people who are running content marketing teams who are responsible for the content marketing of their companies to help correct an idea that might be a misconception or something that is commonly overlooked that they could get some value from just to hear you talk about it now. I think the smartest thing that people can do when they're thinking about their content marketing is to think through the entire customer journey. So we need to create content that is useful and engaging. We want to create content that people bookmark because they find it so helpful. And in order to do that, you really need to think through what are prospects thinking about at the beginning of their journey? What are they thinking about as they are close to becoming buyers? And what are they thinking about at the end of their journey? And if you can create content that meets their needs at every one of those stages, you'll be in great shape. Pamela, you have been so generous in sharing high value ideas with us in this interview. I want to thank you so much for starting off with reminding us about what an influential couple Eleanor and Franklin Delano Roosevelt are, making the distinction that content marketing is not the same as social media marketing, making sure that we understand 
that Roberta, who was in the healthcare company, how she was working with her teams wasn't the most effective way, but by making changes to the titles with basically the same content, she was able to shift from just going for things that were well-liked to things that drove sales for the customers and making a business impact. Then, of course, with the customer journey, being able to identify the different stages and questions that your customers are asking, and then provide content for them to make it an easier journey so that people can end up with the success they deserve earlier and easier. Pamela, before we say goodbye for now, where is it we could find out more about you and your work online? The best place to find me is at PamelaWilson.com. Very easy, P-A-M-E-L-A-W-I-L-S-O-N.com. Pamela, we're going to link to PamelaWilson.com. We're going to link to places to buy your books, as well as your social media which are your outposts. I understand they're your outposts. Right. But we'll po point to all of those so people find it super easy to catch up. And all you have to do is go to the show notes and look for this episode with Pamela Wilson. Pamela Wilson, author of Master Content Marketing. I want the whole title. Hold on. Thank you. Pamela Wilson, author of Master Content Marketing, A Simple Strategy to Cure the Blank Page Blues and Attract a Profitable Audience. I want to thank you once again for joining me on My Quest for the Best. Thank you, Bill. This has been so much fun. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app, so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review My Quest for the Best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.